This episode of Tune on Toast, actually, this season of Tune on Toast is brought to you by Velvet Hammer Music and Management Group. The team at Velvet Hammer manages System of a Down, Corn, Avenged Sevenfold, Alice in Chains, AFI, and Deftones, and they just happen to love this podcast. And they love all the arts and support the arts, and they want people to do well. Bino, the owner of the company, took me to lunch about four weeks ago, and he's like, Stryker, start creating episodes every single week. Have any band, any musician from any genre just do your thing. We have your back. Just be a creator. And as a result, new Tuna on Toast episodes every single week. Now let's get to the episode. Your name is Stryker? Yes, it is. That's fire. <laughs> wow. I love sandwiches. It's called Tuna on Toast. I, I, I spit. I don't know what I'm doing. I love music and I love those that create it. Yeah, welcome to another episode of Tune on Toast. It is Ted Stryker. If this is your first time here, welcome to the Tune on Toast community. If you come back every single week, I appreciate you. Friendly reminder, you can watch every single episode on my YouTube channel, Tune on Toast with Stryker. When you are streaming, listening to this podcast, please give me a rating and write a one-sentence review. It helps with the algorithmy thing. Okay, Vic Fuentes is going to join us in just a second. The great Vic Fuentes from Pierce the Veil, formed in San Diego, California, back in around 2006. But there's a couple things I want to tell you about Vic with his arrival to my place. Only two guests in the history of Tune on Toast have been night episodes. The first one, Davey Havoc, for obvious reasons. I don't think Davey does a lot of things when the sunlight is out. Number two's The Interrupters. They were working like a 14-hour day, and then we had to meet at 7. And then, so I guess it's three total people now, Mr. Vic Fuentes. And where I live, it's very dark. There's a lot of wild animals, and I get nervous when people don't know the neighborhood driving. I shouldn't get so nervous, but I get nervous. I'm like, we got Vic Fuentes driving. I don't want anything bad to happen to Vic. The, the man is precious cargo. But he got himself here. He knocked He knocked on my door, and you can see this all on the YouTube show. But he knocks on the door. I open it up, and we're basically wearing the same outfit. Vic Fuentes describes the outfits what we're wearing early on in this episode. So in 2023, Pierce the Veil released their fifth full-length album. It's called The Jaws of Life. And there's one particular tune on there called Emergency Contact, which is now hovering in the top 10, sitting at number eight. And when I think about this band, Pierce the Veil, all these albums in and all these songs, and here we are in 2023, and they have a song for the first time in the top 10, I feel very happy for them, but at the same time, they don't need it. It's just icing on the cake. If you think about all the bands, let's go like, I don't know, 15 years or so. It's hard to find a band who has made more of a connection with so many people without the help of the radio or the MTV. It's the content of the songs, and it's the way they play their instruments on stage. They are really good, really smart, really fun. I'm a fan of Pierce the Veil. So I was super duper excited, and I just said super duper, by the way, when we got Vic Fuentes' book to come over to my house, had the whiskey going on the fireplace. So let's just get to it, huh? Been yapping for two minutes and 42 seconds. So without any further ado, Please welcome to the Tuna on Toast studio. Here's Vic Fuentes. All right, here we go. That's your seat right there. Uh, you comfortable? Very comfortable. Wow. This is it's incredible. Thanks, man. 
Wow, the Striker Show. Look at this. It's an honor. Wow. <laughs> got it all figured out. Jesus, I feel like I'm just like stepping into like <laughs> such a figured out world right now. Thank you, Vic. Help, put that closer. I don't even know what I was in for right now. My goal is to have it be professional in all ways that I can control in here, but also be loose. Right. Well, that's, what we, that's what we say before we go on stage. We're like... Keep it tight. Test one, two, one, two, one. Hey, yeah, hey. oh yeah. Cool. This is a, this is your. I'm like so overwhelmed right now. <laughs> oh my God. I love that. <laughs> I have never felt so pampered and <laughs> like important in my life than the way you made me feel right now. It's just <sighs> welcome to me into your house. Yeah. Had whiskey waiting on the fireplace yes. with a lit fire. Right. We had a moment at the fireplace. Yes. Uh. I, I don't need this is incredible. You don't have home city advantage right now because right. you're from San Diego. You're up here in LA. You're filming a video tomorrow. And I love to roll out the red carpet for everybody that comes over. And, you know, I'm very happy that you and I are basically dressed the same tonight. Dude, we look ridiculous right now. <laughs> for those of you that like... are listening and not watching right now, uh, Vic, tell everybody our wardrobe, please. We're both like trying to be like punk rock Mr. Rogers right now. And it's like only it only works if one of us is is doing it. When both of us do it, we just look pathetic. And it's, uh, you know, you but. look way better. You have a no effect shirt on and a green cardigan. I have a an Echo and the Bunnymen shirt on and a blackish gray cardigan. We both God. have some sort of boot on. Yours are Doc Martin Lowe's. Mine are some other brand high tops. I, I think that like <laughs> alone, each of us looks great. Together, Ooh. we look insane. We should go out after this. Let's Uber on me. Let's just go and we'll. I'll, whatever time you start the video tomorrow, I'll make sure you're on time. That's so funny because I was picking out my outfit for this and I was just like, yeah, this is it. I think this is right. Yeah. Well, you look great. Damn it. I love it. What feelings do you have when you have a new daughter in San Diego? But this is professional stuff you are doing right now where it does take super focus. This is your career, but yet. Right. You have a new human in your life, and of course, your great wife. Right. I honestly think it takes like some pressure off of like uh, off of things like this. Honestly, because I'm like so focused on my baby Violet and my wife, and like trying to figure out how to be a dad right now. Everything else is just kind of like I don't know. I don't have as much time to kind of like overthink it. You know what I mean? So right. I, I'm just kind of like honestly just excited to see my friend Striker and hang out. And like oh. that was like that was the only thought in my mind. So, yeah, it kind of takes some some pressure off. I don't know. It's cool. What was the date that your daughter was born? Uh, February 9th. And when did the new fifth full-length, The Jaws <laughs> of Life, come out? I see where you're going with this. It came out February 10th wow. on my 40th birthday. Oh, my gosh. So a lot happened that week. It was, it, it was wild. This year in general has just been, like, so, so crazy. We've done, like, so many things. We got married. Got pregnant, had a baby, finished an album, put out an album, recorded. It was started touring. It's been like the gnarliest year of my life. It's been amazing. I don't want to get too like, here, lay down on my sofa for a <laughs> psychology session or therapy <laughs> session. But did all of these things sort of start going because you were in a different place mentally? Or it was just it happened to be a time of year in your life where marriage baby record, which yeah. one came first? It all just kind of fell into place. I don't know. It was weird. It was just all it all just started somehow coming together. And um, 
you know, timing, it, nothing could be timed at all properly or, you know, like yeah. it was all just kind of, it all just sort of happened at the same time. And, uh, it's pretty wild. I could not have planned any of this like this. So. I have a million questions about the past, present and the future. And I want to start with the songs, flawless execution, yes. death of an executioner, yes. which starts off the whole record. I love first songs on albums and yeah. death of an executioner. That's number one for you, right? Where did this, pre- and I love the song, by the way, Thanks, it puts me in such a vibe and creates more pictures maybe than any song on the album for oh, me. It's amazing. Thank where you. did that song come from and where along in the making of the album was it? Uh, it was honestly like maybe the first song we wrote. No on, way. Yeah, that was written a, a long time ago. Like, honestly, you know, we, we started writing before the pandemic. So that was like pre-pandemic song that we just always knew made me feel something. So I was like, we got to keep this one around. Just kept it around. Kept like working on it. And I knew it needed to be finished and see see the light of day. So, yeah, I mean, it was, first of all, I just realized after the album came out that I had titled two songs with the word execution. <laughs> yes. Right. I did not. I felt so like dumb is not the right word, but I was like, what are you doing? I was like, what, where was my head that I, I was so close to this project that I didn't realize that I had put the word execution in two songs. Are they related in some sort of way? No, zero ways. They're completely different stories and songs. And like, I don't know, sometimes I do stuff like that. And I just like, I look back and I'm like, how did, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what my brain was thinking, but uh, anyways, uh, yeah, death was like, I w- it's funny that you say visuals because I always that's the song that I have a lo- I had a lot of visuals for you know nice. and I was like yes. you know when I was clawing and fighting with our producer Paul Meany about like you know where we wanted the song to go and I would always come in and be like all right I picture I would I even drew him something I had this drawing it was like I always pictured like a fast car when I thought about this song like mm. a high performance vehicle I the lyrics are very about uh, this car and like. The car it represents um, just people always following you and waiting for you to, you know, so that they can run you down. So I always picture this fast car and like there's like vision of like, a, I say the flames dance off your eyes. So I have this like very epic vision of this eye with like flames in it and the reflection and this car. And I, I don't know, it, it gave me all kinds of visuals. And um, I was using that to to try and convince oh. Paul of, of uh, lyrics and and. Uh, of the way I wanted the song to go. It's funny. And it went the way you wanted. It's on the album. It's the first song <laughs> on the album. Was there a meeting between you and your two bandmates? And I don't know if this happens with all bands or no bands or with you guys, where you discuss what you're feeling before you go in creating music and you go write the lyrics somewhere. Mm. Because there are some sounds on here that I'm like, oh, this is Pierce the Veil. Ooh, this is Pierce the Veil, but I'm feeling kind of this other kind of thing, maybe a 1996, 94 thing. Mm -hmm. And it's like futuristic in some parts. So how did it work for you guys? It sort of just came together pretty naturally. You know, we we didn't want to write another record that just felt kind of like... I don't know. I feel like the last two records we did felt like they were in a a similar theme of a, a feel of... Um, guitar tones and vibes and um, energy and we naturally I was just not writing riffs like that I was just like I was visiting a a different time of of when I learned how to play guitar and um, like you said some of the 90s 90s-ish stuff I was kind of pulling from that kind of stuff that I learned when I was Mm. younger you know Um, 
more Stone Temple Pilots and Soundgarden, <gasps> Cardigans and Cranberries and Bush and stuff like that, you know. Because before we ever started touring, I was playing bar shows, like playing like four hour sets with my best friend in our band and playing all these bands, like all kinds of those bands and Pearl Jam and yeah. 311 and yeah. like covering like so many different genres of music. And um, so I learned how to play guitar like by doing those kind of shows and, and learning that kind of music. So I think I was pulling from, from then, you know, a little more for this record. Is it possible that you were pulling from that time because of comfortability? We went through this pandemic, and I think we all wanted to feel nostalgic and have nostalgia in our life. And maybe without even thinking, you were like, I love STP and Bush mm. and 311 and the Cranberries and the Cardigans. And just without even realizing it, that's what you started doing. I think that I was just craving something else that wasn't just like these high-gain amps and wanting uh, a little more dynamic to to the sound. And um, yeah, I don't know, just craving like a little bit more simplicity in the guitar playing, but in a way that is like focused on simple, but very powerful, you know, like getting to the point and um, being very exposed and not having a ton of layers that, I don't know, it was almost like, you know, when you take a photo and you know, when you post something on social media and it's always the worst photo yeah. of yourself or whatever that does, like, that, like, gets this big reaction. Correct. You know? Yes, yes, You don't have yes. any filters on it. You know, there's, like, it's, like, this raw thing that... And I sort of, like, thought of that with music. It's, like, you know, taking this, like, kind of, um, you know, curtain and this kind of veil off of, of the music and just getting down to, like, just a rawness of uh, powerful simple riffs that are melodic and memorable. And uh, so that was my goal, you know, was to just kind of like really let people like sink their teeth into this and like uh, be able to hear everything, you know? And uh, so that was, that was a, that was a big goal with this record. And the producer, Paul, Paul Meany from yeah. Mute Math, who's yeah. worked with a lot of incredible artists. Was mm -hmm. this your first time working with him? Yes. Yeah. So how did that, or why did you guys decide to work together? Is it because he was bringing in something maybe you haven't really thought of doing? And did it ever make you feel uncomfortable in a good way mm -hmm. to have this new person in the room with you? Yeah, we, it's funny, I stumbled upon like an old video of me and my wife, like at a bar cheersing and I'm like talking to the camera and I'm like, we just locked in our dream producer, Paul Meany today and we're celebrating, we're all excited. And like, it was, um... Paul was like at the perfect time that we just wanted to change things up like across the board with our band, like everything. We wanted to change our producer, not because we didn't like our last producer, Dan Corniff. I freaking love Dan yeah. like, with all my heart. And, but we just felt like we needed to do something different and um, wipe the slate clean, feel different, do it in a different studio, do it in a different city, um, have a new experience and just like, I don't know, just feel inspired and that, I think we're searching for inspiration, and, and and Paul was a big part of that. Of you know, changing a producer after working with the same producer for two albums is it's kind of a big deal. You know, like yeah. you, you're like really deciding something. You know, to change things up and and work with a whole different um, vibe. And uh, so Paul, uh, we liked the idea of Paul because he was in a band and he's an artist and. He kind of comes from where we are, and I like the thought of of working with an artist. And um, 
and also he had such like he's done such cool work with like 21 pilots and stuff and that so i just felt like this this guy was right you know he's creative and he knows where we're coming from and I don't know. Maybe we could do something cool together. Vic, rewinding again, and we're ping-ponging all over the place. What happened with you professionally? Maybe it's a slew of events that led to you becoming a professional and getting a record deal. Mm. Like, what did what was going on in San Diego or shows in L.A.? I, I don't, I'm not sure I know that. I, I was just talking to my wife about this. It, it was such a, like, a cliché moment because the industry back then was very like it was very cliche it was like every thought that you think about the industry it was it was real of like don't go to a major label don't because they might mess up your band or like uh you know it was like these fears of like of what you do with your career if you ever get an opportunity and um for us it was like we literally we were we had a following in san diego that we grew it just locally because you can't we couldn't grow out of San Diego. I don't LA was like untouchable and too hard to play in a show in LA and no one will know you there, you know? And, and uh, so yeah, we grew this fan base in San Diego. It got the attention of somebody. And then that person passed our demo to somebody else and then somebody else. And it ended up in the hands of, of uh, Steve Reddy, the owner of equal vision records in New York. So he flew from Albany with their team and dance it was like Dan Sanshaw and Steve Reddy, the main guys at Equal Vision, they flew from New York to see us play a local show in San Diego. Oh my. So do, do you have a nervous stomach ache before that show? Ugh, dude, I don't I don't I don't remember being nervous. I just think that we were so like dialed in with our local scene. Like we like loved it so much. We you know, we go to shows, we play shows, we this is our home basically, you know. So it's we um we played the show and it was insane. It was amazing. It was so much fun. They're moshing and people just going nuts at it. Jumping on the stage, you know, like stage diving, like every five seconds of the the show. And, and then, you know, just the cliche play out of a, a record deal happens. So they take us out to dinner and they offer us a record deal like that night. And they're like, Hey, we want to, we want you on the label. Like, and, did you have a manager at that time? No, we had nothing. We were Lawyer? Just, we were, no, we had nothing. We were just like kids, like, and uh, <laughs> so awesome, man, it was amazing. And yes, they're like, yeah. Do you want to be in an Equal Vision, Equal Vision Records? And uh, and we loved that label, you know, because they had like Saves the Day and Coheed and Cambria and oh. bands that we really loved and uh, were inspired by. So we were like, hell yeah, we want to be a part of this. Like, of course we do, and. Yeah, and then next thing you know, we're like smoking cigars, signing a a, a record contract, <laughs> like that thing like you do in, in the a, back of a camper, literally in my parents' <laughs> living room, like signing this record deal. And wow, uh, Vic, it was such a moment, dude. It was it was amazing. Um, so yeah, and that 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 was the time when I when I felt like this is professional, you know, like that when I can stop going to school and because I was going to school to be a graphic designer like i wanted to get Where, san diego art. state yeah yeah i went to san diego state for three years almost graduated and then we <laughs> got signed and then i i quit school and took a permanent leave of absence and um because i was always either going to do music or or art and um and that just that one came first and so we took the opportunity and Good um, for you. i'm glad yeah. you took the chance and didn't say oh let me just do a year of school and finish i think that is such 
the smart way to go. And sometimes I'm not saying for you at all, but like I've had friends where their parents would say something. They were so inspired by them. Oh, just stay in school two more years, then do it. But the Mm. time is not to wait. The time is to do it now and keep going. And if it doesn't work in 20 years, then go back to school. 100%. 100%. Yeah, I mean, that's that's exactly how we felt. It was just Good. like this opportunity is, is it doesn't happen to people, you know? Right. It's So we had to take it. And um, yeah, we never turned back. This is a broad question. How did you find your voice, <clears throat> the tone, the style, the inflections? Was it training? Was it it just happened day one when you started recording your own music? Two people come to mind when I think about like how it sh- shaped my voice from the beginning, you know, it was like the first, in the very beginning, we wanted to be like Pennywise, you know, we wanted to like, be like fight for your right, stand up. Yeah. And that was like where we came from. And, um, you know, that's what moved us was that kind of, uh, I don't know, just feeling of community and us, you know, us against them feeling. And I don't know, I started like the, you know, as I progressed, I, I think about Anthony green, because he was so influential in our genre. Yes. Of we heard this guy singing really high. You know, he had this high voice and it was so amazing. And you know, when Sayosin came out and it was just like changed the game. Everyone was like, "Holy shit, like this is something we've never heard." And uh so I remember realizing that I could sing high and uh, you know, every band wanted to try and sing sing within this high range at that time it was it was very like uh i don't know it was part of like that the beginning stages of what you would call emo and and and, or screamo or whatever the hell you call it you know so yeah i i think you know we all wanted to challenge ourselves in our in our physical abilities of just to see just what we could do with our voices and that was like the goal was to explore literally the entire range of your voice and yeah he comes to mind when i when i think about that you know who are some of the bands that were kind of in your world, in your in your orb, whatever, as you were coming up? Like you opened for them or they opened for you. You were on the same bill and you were like, yeah, these these dudes, these are whoever, they're all right. I think the people we played the most shows with are Day to Remember. Oh, yes. Uh, you know, we used to play VFW halls with Day to Remember. Literally, like I just remember watching them because they were, they had been a band longer than us and they we're crushing it like at these every venue we would go to and everyone would be singing every word and like they were so they were they were a big inspiration for me early on as we were learning touring and um opening up for them and we we probably opened like 10 tours for them like over the years and uh bring me the horizon is another one we've done a ton of touring with and since early on since they were like 16 and, you know, and like, so yeah, a lot of touring with, with those bands. Um, and did you ever feel intimidated by anybody because you were like, what the hell are they doing on stage? Where are we, are we that good? You know, I not intimidated, but learned from mm. a lot, you know, like, um, I remember watching a data member at Brixton Academy in London and just like, uh, there was this part, where in one of their songs, like where everyone goes, get the fuck over it. And like, I remember 5,000 people all saying it at the same time. And I, and I was like, why aren't they doing that to our songs? Like, what do I need to do to kind of get to, to what they're doing? And 
and it taught me something. I, I was like, we, you need to create moments for the crowd to, to have this right. like unified thing together. And if you don't create it for them and you don't tell them what to do and when to do it, then it's not going to happen, you know? And, um, so then we wrote our next record collide with the sky with a very intentional feeling of like, I want to have a lot of these moments. Um, next time we get on stage, like I want to, I want to set, I want to set it up. Yeah. You know, I want to yes. s- just set it up for a, a, such a fun show that this is going to be like life changing, you know? So that's what we did, you know? And that was from watching, you know, and learning. Oh, that's so cool. And you're going on tour. They're going on with you together. The used, mm-hmm. right? That's happening. Starts pretty soon here. Yes. Uh, what's your history with those guys? Have you known them a long time? Um, we have known them kind of a long time, but we don't really know them too well personally. We mm. haven't done any touring with them besides like festivals and stuff like that. And I, I have a jacket, a um, denim black jacket that Bert gave me when we were on Warp Tour together, and we didn't we didn't know each other really. You know, I was just walking by one day and Bert like called me over and was like, Hey man, like, come here. I got something for you. He gave me this, like you, the used like custom cool denim jacket. No way. And like, it was like one of the coolest things any band is, has ever done. Like for me, I personally, I was just like really taken back by, I don't know, just that kind of kindness. And, um, like, why did he do that that day? I don't know. I don't, I don't really know. And since then I was just, was just like the use is freaking so cool because i already love their music you know yeah. i was like inspired by it and since their first record and uh sucker was good yeah Jesus it was a game changer criminy, yeah yeah um i got to hear their new record by the way you haven't heard it i have oh you have it's not out yet oh it's good oh hell yeah. it's great it's great 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 i yeah i mean i, I like the songs that i don't know what to say i got a secret super thing and i was like i got locked in on it <laughs> so <laughs> it's really really good Dude, i don't doubt it i mean but yeah, I just I just know that 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 I don't know that was one of the coolest things. I still have that jacket. I'll probably bring it on our tour together. You have to, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um. Uh. I I think we are very inspired by the bands that we tour with. You know, because we're when we when you tour with a good band, man, and you pick up little things from them. It's it's uh it's amazing. Do you plan on bringing your family on tour? Or is that too much to manage? I'm trying to figure that that out. You know, um, having a a child. <laughs> And being in a touring band is like, I I ask for a lot of advice from friends, you know, from people who have done it. And, uh, you know, like um, Brad Hargreaves from Third Eye Blind, who played on... He's drumming on, with you now, right? On our record. He played on the album. Okay. And, uh, you know, he has a couple kids and I... I, like, confided in him, like, you know, how do you do these things? You know, how do you... How do you do it? And how do... What works for you? And... Same with Mike from MXPX. I was like, you know, how do you do it? Like, what, what's, what's your guys' method, you know? Yeah. And um, so I'm just trying to take advice from from my friends and see, like, what they do and what will work for me and my wife and my family. And so, you know, like, on our upcoming tour, my, my family's going to come out in New York, which is, like, sort of in the middle of the tour. Yeah. We have, we're doing two two days in New York. So, yeah, it'll be, like, an experiment. I don't know. Like, I want to get them on the bus somehow and sort of figure that out. You know, it's like, how do you put a, a screaming baby on a bus? I don't yeah, know. <laughs> right. I don't know how that works. I, and I don't know how it's going to work in your brain. All our brains work different, but 
you're laser focused on your performance. Right. I'm sure you also want to keep your family happy because they're right there. Like, oh my god, am I too distracted here? Am I going to be able to give the performance I want to give? Or does that? Uh. I know it's a it's it's a pretty uh, challenging thing to like try and figure out. But like, I want it so bad. Like, you know, if you want something, you'll make it happen. And like, right. I was uh, hanging out with the. Do you know Kay Flay? She's been on the show. She's been yes. in that chair. Love, I love Christine. And uh, yeah. Christine, like, had a cool suggestion. She was like, she was like, you should, like, make the back lounge, like, one of those, like, bed back lounges or, or like, rooms, you know, so that, like, or sometimes there's a couch that, like, kind of turns into a bed, you yeah. know, and that yeah, could yeah. be your family space for whenever they're out. And I was like, dude, I didn't think about that. That's perfect. Well, she so. did go to Stanford, by the way. So you're you're a San Diego State guy, I'm a University of Arizona guy. She's got the brains of everybody. <sighs> how good is Kay Flay? And how do you know her? How'd she end up on your radar? Uh I've 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 liked her music, you know, um since like Blood in the Cut came out and I that okay. song was like I was like, Holy shit, who is this girl? And yeah. um yeah. and then somebody put on my radar that she had mentioned Pierce of Vale in an interview and like she was like, oh, somebody just showed me Pierce the Veil, and like I like this band, and like mind blown that she even knew who we were. Aww. So like the way that I finally connected with her was I, when I was in Seattle working at Mike from MXPX's place. Um, she was playing in Seattle, so I went to the show and I used what I now call a superpower of being in a band of being able to actually like connect with other bands that you yeah. love, yeah, and maybe it can actually happen, you know? Like so, I started like doing that all the time cool. i was like i you know I, I hit up um i connected our management and i was like hey i want to come out to the k-flight show and i would love to meet her and and she was totally cool with it and then we met and we became friends has there always been that camaraderie within bands it feels like it's happening more than ever now where artists are really welcoming collaborations not that you're collaborating with her but just like we're all we're really in this together it yeah. is a tough world out there. I'm supporting you and you're supporting me. Mm-hmm. Is that happening more now or has it always been like that? I think it happens a lot now. Personally, it happens with like social media. You know, it's like we can easily connect. And if, you know, if if I happen to see that this person follows me and I follow them and I'm like, oh, we obviously respect each other as artists. You know, why not reach out and, you know, we could hang out or maybe work together or something like that. And that, right. that it's a pretty amazing thing, you know, because that could have never happened, you know, 15 years ago. So yeah. it's cool. Yeah. You think you're going to want to collaborate maybe on a song with K-Flay? I would love to. Yeah. I mean, she's such an inspiring person. And yeah. so, uh, you know, not just her music, but her as a person. Is, she's very inspiring. She's yeah. amazing. Super cool. Yeah. Vic, as we sit here today, as I look at your career, you have had so much success without a ton of like radio and the mtv i mean you built up this fan base that is just so enthusiastic who i love so much and you guys are going to be huge whether you have 20 songs on the radio or no songs on the radio so what is success for you today um success to me is is being able to continue doing what we're doing for as long as we can you know and and to book a show on any given day, on any given year, you know, and just yes. and just be able to play for these fans that we've built this relationship with over the years. And I, I remember when we did our first album, our booking agent, who's one of my best friends, Dave Shapiro, he, 
he kind of like, I don't know, he laid out this, I don't know, this little statement about how longevity is, is such a key for a band. And like, if you want to be like, uh, I don't know, just one of those bands that can kind of play forever, you got to build these roots and kind of start slow and then kind of make your way. And that always stuck with me. And I think that's kind of how we ended up doing things is just really starting super small and just kind of every little step kind of building from there. Going back to something you mentioned about playing two to three hour sets and doing covers with a friend of yours and learning all those songs and learning all the lyrics at what point or how old were you when you started to write your own music? Mm. Uh, I was probably like 16, 16 16 or 17. Yeah. And did, did many folks hear those songs at 16 or were you doing it to see if you could just do it? Um, it was at first no, no one was really hearing them except for people at like these bars, like that we would throw in between covers and like try and like play our own music. And, and then I started a band with my brother where we were playing more like fast punk stuff, you know, like. Pennywise, No Effects, Slagwagon, that was like, yeah. we loved doing that. And then I always had this other band that was uh, more rock and roll based, you know, like Stone Temple Pilots and Pearl Jam and stuff. So I had this balance of these two different genres at all times. And um, yeah, I don't know. It, it was for our friends, basically, in the beginning, just feeling the energy of being at a, our party, uh, at someone's party, playing to just our friends and watching them mosh in a backyard. And that was like... <laughs> That feeling of like, I remember the first time we ever played a party and, and, uh, it was my friend, Sam, she would throw these amazing parties and we played it, me and my brother in our band. And, um, I remember the first time just a little pit broke out in the backyard Yeah, and that feeling (laughs) is the exact same feeling I still get today Mm. when we're playing any size venue, like a festival or whatever. It's still the same exact feeling. You that know, is it's so just cool. Like, like, holy shit, these yeah. people are moving to your music. Right. And that's that energy is wild. You've connected musically, obviously, but also lyrically, like whether people are going through anxiety or depression. Is that ever a goal of a musician early on that these things that you're putting out there over your career connect that way? Or are you more thinking about, oh, we just kind of want to form a community and I hope everyone is on board? Like, how does that mm. work? Number one, it just has to come from. Inside of us, it has to be, we have to enjoy what we're creating. And that is just the number one bar. It's just like, make something that makes us feel something, makes me feel something. And, you know, lyrically, musically, if I'm in my studio, you know, tucked away, just being a hermit and and listening to this song that I'm working on, and I'm like loving it, and I'm like feeling it, and I'm dancing around the room, and I'm you know, throwing my fists around and like feeling it like that's, that's the bar. That's where I, that's, if I'm feeling something from this song, then I feel like when we share it, it, it will be, you know, hopefully people will connect with it. And that's right. But that, and that's really all you, I think that's all we can really do is just like try and make ourselves happy with what we're doing and then put it out into the world. And that's, that's really just been the method for us. And connecting, it feels like, you know, some of my favorite bands and favorite musicians, I feel like they're talking to me. Oh, you're talking to me. I'm locked in with you now. Mm -hmm. And so your messaging and the way you guys play and write, 
it's just, uh, it's really impressive everything that you guys have created over these years, man. Thanks, man. Of course. Vic, in what cities did you write the songs for the Jaws of Life album? A few different places. I, I started out taking uh, some just solo writing trips out to an area called uh, Julian outside of San Diego. It's like okay. our closest like mountain town. So it's like, it's like an hour outside of where, where I live. So I would just pack up my truck and rent a house. Um, you know, for a month or two or whatever, and just set up in the living room. And I just, I do that a lot. I just like find a cool area that is away from home and kind of like just gets your brain thinking differently right. and gets you in a new environment. And, um, cause when I, when I'm home in my like home studio, like our studio is at my parents' house and that's like, you know, we built this studio there because that's where you, every band practices at their parents' house. Right. And then like, <laughs> We eventually tore down the garage that we practiced in and built an actual studio. And um, so I love it there, but, you know, sometimes you're just sitting there alone trying to work on a song and you're just been in the same place that you've been in for years. And right. you just got to get out and try and think differently. And yeah, so, yeah, like I'll, I'll try to try and rent places and cool places that I enjoy. And Julian um, wrote some songs there definitely had some good times there. And I invite like friends to come over and write and, um, you know, the band will come out and we'll work on stuff too. But like, and then I went to Seattle for a bit and I worked in a area called Bremerton, which is, uh, across the water from Seattle. And, uh, I worked at the studio that is owned by Mike Herrera from MXPX. Yes. Yes. Legendary yes. punk pop punk band yes. that I like grew up listening to. Shout out to Mike. I'm in their video for responsibility. Are you really? Yes. Dude, that's yes. amazing. Like, it's great. Dude. I have bleached blonde hair. I guess I have that now still. Yeah, I have uh, uh, it back. Yeah, I was um, great. Yeah, I'm in the video. If you go see that, I got a decent part in it too. I'm definitely going to go home and watch that. <laughs> that's amazing. Uh, Wait, so you hold, so you're hanging out with Mike. Yeah. He, he's inspiring you, writing with you, or you're just hanging with him? Uh, we just kind of. I don't. I don't even remember how we met. I maybe just through the internet. I don't know. Like he he invited me to come out to a show in San Diego and and sing a song with him. Um, and I love MXPX, and I was, was like hell yeah. So we we met that way, and then we just kind of kept in touch. And then I I needed a place to work, and I love Seattle, and I've I've done trips up there, but I will always get a hotel and kind of work out of that. And this was a whole different experience. He has a house that is solely dedicated to making music and it's it's like this hundred year old like house on a corner and it's so perfect for making music because it's it's a busy street and then there's a dive bar behind the house so every single night there's people just yelling until like two in the morning so a public dive bar not his place not no it is it's actual bar yeah like so so it's perfect because nobody cares if you're making music at like two three four in the morning yeah, and that that's yeah. like my dream is just to be able to crank a amp at two in the morning and no one care you know so and that honestly has been the hardest thing in my life to find it's it's so hard to find that to find a place at two in the morning to crank up your amp yeah like in because you know i'm one of those like night writers you know mm. like uh i remember saw i saw this p painting it was like artists and it was like <laughs> all these like windows and they were all like dark and then there was the one that was lit up at like you know four in the morning and yeah. so i i love working at night and um that's been like a really challenging thing for me over the years and so his place was perfect so i would just 
yeah, I spent like a couple months there working and um, going into the city, watching shows to cool. get inspired. Just yeah, like yeah, yeah. Living my whole like emo grunge rock life, pretending I'm like, you know, back in yeah the 90s. Like, and uh, it was uh, – it was incredible. I had such an amazing experience and wrote a bunch of songs out there. That's awesome. Um, in San Diego, who was your go-to band when you were young? The last time I saw you and we had a chat, maybe like five or six years ago, you had a Sublime shirt on. And I didn't say it in an interview. But I'm like, man, I love that Sublime shirt Vic is wearing. Are they in one of your top bands? Yeah, 100%. I mean, they. I, I would say that at one point in my life, for a long time, they were my favorite band of all time. And Bradley Knowles, my favorite singer still, I think to this day, because of his honesty and his voice, like he can sing about like smoking a joint and like Mm -hmm. you'll feel it so deep inside of you because the way he sings it and the way he says every word. And uh, so that that's always been a big inspiration for me. So, yeah. Yeah. Sublime is huge for me. Um, how have movies inspired your career or specifically a couple songs on the new album? <laughs> Empire Records, Dazed and Confused. Yes. Both ref- I, is that like a common thing that everybody knows? You're the first person to actually really talk about it. I don't know. Uh, yeah, we... Let's get into this for a second. So I've always wanted to name a song, Damn the Man, Save the Empire, from one of my favorite movies, Empire Records. Yes. And... Uh, <laughs> I've had the title just sitting, I have like a list of song titles that I've like, just whenever I think of something that I find interesting, I, I write it down and, and, and save it and just for the right moment. And I've never been able to use that title for okay. the right song. It just <laughs> this song on the record felt like I could finally do it. And so that, yeah, that movie's just, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's a, it's one of those inspiring movies to me. Like, and, um, and a great soundtrack. Yeah, m- movies the soundtrack are, for Empire Records. Is I, so I think good. movies are inspiring to a lot of bands, if not all bands. I, I, you know, like there's just so many lyrics that come from movies, or just I don't know. I just uh, I I am definitely inspired by the movies that I really attach to. And uh, wait, so you wrote that title down at some point previous years yeah. and you were ne- never able to work it nope. into an album and now the time came and you're able to do it it felt right I was, yeah I, yeah I, I told the guys i was like hey guys i'm because I, I feel like i had to convince them <laughs> i was like hey guys i, r- I really want to call this song this like are you cool with this and they were like hell yeah so did tony say hell yeah yeah they were they were totally cool with it okay good. i don't think they knew what it was from but right <laughs> like the way that i did but um yeah and then we uh, started off a song called Resilience with... Uh, Love Resilience. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah. It, it, we started off with a scene from the movie Dazed and Confused, which is like right. you know one of my all-time favorite movies as well. And honestly, my favorite scene of the movie, too. Like I, It's like one of my favorite things about being in this band is like that you can like do things like this. Like you can take a piece of this movie that has been a part of your life forever yeah. and somehow find a way to put it in one of your songs. And like, you know, it was, it was a crazy process to do that too. Like we had to get permission from the actors, the, the actual actors in the, in the movie had to approve this. Come on. Yeah. It was crazy. And, but it was like one of the coolest things we've ever done, like was getting that. And I, to me, it's like the song doesn't, it doesn't work without it. I totally agree. It's like to me it was that artistically it was that important that that quote is in there 
Otherwise, the song doesn't work to me. I don't know why. It was just like it. It the balance just felt perfect. Um, okay, so you just named two movies that you love. You got them in the album. What are some movies that you've seen at least ten times? Or if it's on, you'll give it at least eight minutes of time to like 30 minutes. Like for me, like if Karate Kid is on, yeah. I'm going anywhere from four minutes to 40 minutes of my time. If yeah, Old School is down. on, the same thing. Wedding Crashers, Pulp Fiction, yes. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh, yeah. God, those are all great. I, Wayne's World is like my favorite movie of all time. <laughs> yes. So like, I just can't <laughs> I not watch to. Wayne's World. Uh, I. You know, Wayne's World's so it's so my favorite movie that I actually haven't watched it in years because I know it so I can I can literally play it out in my brain. Yeah, I can I can play out every scene in my head, so I, like I don't need to watch it even anymore. Uh, every year, me and my best friend Curtis Peoples we watch uh, Christmas Vacation. It's a tradition, right? We drink uh, what's the drink with the the half and half and the Kahlua, uh, white Russians. Okay. Right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. We drink white Russians like all night, (laughs) which is like way too much milk to be drinking. (laughs) We always joke about how much milk we're we're about. You're ready to crush some milk tonight. (laughs) I love Christmas vacation. Yeah. So much. That's a tradition. And, uh, wait, hold on a minute. Now that you have a daughter, are you going to be like Clark Griswold at your place and put up some lights and have a million fan oh, yeah. members over and dried turkey? And I often already feel like Clark Griswold. <laughs> like when I'm putting up Christmas lights every year, like you are Clark Griswold for sure. That is like, uh, oh, Clark. Yeah, that's who you summon. Will you please, in your next album, three, four years from now, <laughs> get permission from Chevy Chase and just. Name it. That shitter was full. Could be the name of the song. I love that you said three or four years from now because you know that we don't write records. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. Oh Oh, my god. Before I let you go, I'm going to play emergency contact on my show right now. It's in the top ten. Did you know that? I just found that out. Like we, uh, my okay. So my best friend Curtis Peoples and I, we've been writing music since we're 16. We're the ones that we would play in the bars together and stuff. So. We co-wrote Emergency Contact in Seattle at Mike from MX, MX, I was have trouble saying MXPX. <laughs> we, we wrote that song there and we've had this pact that it's probably been like for like 10 or 15 years that he, he always said, if we ever get a top 10 song, yes. he's going to get a tattoo and it's going to be the, the stick figure guy from Pearl Jam. Yes. Like, yeah. like, I don't, I don't know why we decided that, but like, that's what he always wanted to get. So we broke the top 10 with a single, which is, which blows my mind. That doesn't, that doesn't happen to our band. I can't believe that, that this is even real life. And uh, so, yeah, so now he has to get that tattoo and we're going to, we're going to go do it soon. Wait, matching tattoos or just, he's not going to get the, no, 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 not, no. Okay. this is all him. Is, yeah. I don't have any tattoos. So this is all him. And where in the process was this song written? Early towards the end? Did it take 10 minutes to write? No, 10 it, weeks? It did take like an hour to write. No. It was all in, it was just like perfect moment. And um, we just came back from, we were watching this artist named Mallrat. You ever heard of Mallrat? No. She's oh, like, wait, uh, kind of longer. She's Australian, short. I think. Okay. Yeah, Australian girl. Um, amazing artist. I was like super into I was listening to her music like constantly while I was in Seattle and we were like, 
came from our show and we were like feeling very inspired just like make make something and we wrote this song and um and it's it's been like i think my favorite song like on the record really since we wrote it like i just like it was one of those it was the song that i just couldn't wait to show everyone you know every every time i would play it in my truck or my you know like in my studio i just like couldn't wait to show people congratulations man thanks man and it is it's not unheard of from my vantage point for Pierce to veil after all these years to have a song in the top 10. As you said earlier, it's not all of a sudden go from here to number one. It's a slow build. Yeah. And here you are. You got the fan base. You got the songs, the creativity. You're super nice and you're smart. <laughs> Seriously, man. I appreciate it, man. Yeah. Thank so, you so thanks much. for being on the show. Hey. Vic Fuentes. Uh, it's an honor. Wow. Thank you. Vic was just at my house. Thank you guys so much for listening and watching. Find them on the road with the used. And of course, uh, the Jaws of Life is the album. For Vic, I am Stryker. Thanks for watching. Happy snuggles. Bye-bye. Remember that? Can you do that? That's another episode of Stryker's Tuna on Toast. Promise it'll get better. Most likely. For sure. <laughs> Maybe.